Welcome to another very special episode of Talking on Tap, ABM Bev's podcast series. I'm your host, Elaine McCrimmon, Global Director of Reputation and External Engagement at ABM Bev. This week, we're very excited to bring to you our very own John Blood, Chief Legal and Corporate Affairs Officer here at ABM Bev. He sits down with Adrian Cooper, the Chief Executive Officer of Oxford Economics, to discuss the economic footprint of the global beer industry. Not only do brewers make and deliver the beer people love all around the world, but the activities of the global beer sector sustain significant amounts of GDP, creates high number of jobs and contributes significantly to government revenue. Brewers have a strong economic multiplier effect. So what were the key findings of the report? How does the global beer sector compare to others? And is beer really a force for good? Let's find out. I'm John Blood, Chief Legal and Corporate Affairs Officer at AB InBev. And it's my pleasure to introduce you to Adrian Cooper, the Chief Executive Officer of Oxford Economics. Adrian, welcome to Talking on Tap. Can you tell us a little bit about Oxford Economics, some of the history, what you do? We'd love to hear some more about it. John, thank you. And it's a pleasure to be here talking to you today. Oxford Economics was founded in 1981 as a commercial venture with the business college within Oxford University. Since then, we've become one of the world's leading independent global advisory firms. We've got over 300 economists and analysts on our team based in over 20 offices around the world. We serve more than 2,000 clients from international institutions to governments to central banks to blue chip companies in all sectors of the economy. We're doing forecasting on economic prospects for more than 200 countries, 100 industries, 8,000 different cities and regions around the world to inform companies' business planning and investment decisions. We do those forecasts using our own global economic model, which allows us to quantify the impact of policy changes or other geopolitical events, things like the COVID pandemic or now the Russia-Ukraine conflict. But having that economic modelling capability then allows us to look at a range of other topics for clients, including things like quantifying the economic footprint of different companies, industries, or technologies. And that's the kind of approach that we used in our study on the footprint of the beer industry globally that we're going to be discussing today. But we also look at a range of other fascinating topics from how you design strategies to encourage green growth through to what are the benefits of having a diverse workforce for company performance. And that's one of the fun things about working at Oxford Economics. We look at a really widespread of different fascinating topics. Adrian, thanks for that. And when I think of Oxford Economics, what pops into my mind is insights and what practical insights that is evidence-based that people can take. Indeed, we have at AB InBev an economist on our corporate affairs team. And uh, that's not something that uh, we've had for a long time, but we're so delighted to have an economist on and get the viewpoint of economic data and the insights that come from it. So thanks for being here, Adrian. You're welcome. Today, we're going to discuss a new study of expert economics published in February, and the title is Beer's Global Economic Footprint. It was commissioned by the Worldwide Brewers Alliance, and AB InBev is a member of the Worldwide Brewing Alliance, alongside other brewers and beer associates. First, sort of what goes into putting together a study like this? You know, who works on it? How long does it take? What are you looking at? 
Yeah. Okay. Well, this study was a long time in the making. It was about 12 months from the first data point being collected through to the finalized report, the production of all the infographics, and a website that displays all the results. To make this study possible, some of the largest global brewers very helpfully provided us with their data about their operations across 70 countries between 2015 and 2019. We then combined that with data from a host of other sources from national statistical offices through to in-depth market research studies. And we traced out all the interactions between the beer sector and its supply chain, both nationally and internationally, using our very detailed economic models. So there was a lot of very detailed data crunching by our talented economics team to measure all of the different ways the beer sector generates economic value. And you can see that in a website that we've published. If you go to globalbeer.microsite.oxideconomics.com, you can see all the results from this study and explore them at your leisure. Thanks, Adrian. I encourage all our listeners to go and read the study. It's fascinating and uh, so many insights that you can pull out from it. Adrian, when you think about this study, we've seen economic impacts of beer studies done before, right? We know that there's a history of them, but this is new. Or what's new and different about this particular study, especially when you talk about things like the countries and the impacts that were considered? John, that's a a really good question. I think there are a couple of aspects to this that I want to highlight. Um, I think first up, the most obvious is the breadth of what we're measuring here from a geographical perspective. So most economic impact studies focus on a single country. Obviously, that's very valuable for informing economic policy and regulation in that particular country, for instance. But here, our scope is much more ambitious. We want to measure the global footprint of beer. So we're looking at its impact across 70 countries all at once. And not only does that allow us to measure beer's global contribution to GDP, so to national incomes, to jobs, to taxes, but it also allows us to look at groups of countries, which brings out things like, for instance, that beer accounts for a bigger share of jobs in poorer economies than in richer ones. The second thing that's new here is a bit more technical, but it follows from our study being global. The basic methodology we follow in our report is a very tried and tested technique that's used in lots of economic impact studies. Our report that goes further than the typical country study by assessing beer's global activities, taking into account international as well as domestic supply chain linkages. Now, I think this is easiest to understand if I give you a concrete example. Please. As you probably know, French farmers grow barley that they export to Germany for use by German brewers. Now, a traditional country study for Germany would not include the economic value associated with that barley even though it's critical to producing some German beer because it wasn't grown in Germany. And similarly, a a French economic impact study wouldn't measure it because it's not going into making French beer. In our study, though, we were able to capture those cross-border linkages using our sophisticated tools. Our results may therefore look a bit different from country studies that you may be familiar with because we're also taking into account those international linkages. So, you know, To sum up, yeah, I think our study is both broader in its country coverage, but actually more comprehensive in capturing all of beer's economic value chain. 
No, Adrian, as you make that point, you know, what comes to my mind is whenever you're doing a study like this, and particularly when I'm reading a study like this, I'm always thinking about how comprehensive and exactly what you said, what happens across borders as well. When you sort of take a look at an industry and you say, what is the impact? You know, where do you draw the line? Do you stop at the local city? Do you stop at the local farm? Do you stop at the local province? Or do you expand it across countries? And that's one of the really insightful things that comes out of this study. But before I get into the details, and I really want to jump into the details soon, I'd love to just get your impressions about any questions you've got. What's the pickup from the study been? Because we know that beer is something that many, many people love, right? And beer is something that many people enjoy and lots of people have lots of opinions on it. But I'm just curious is, you know, did you get some feedback? How has it been? What types of questions have been coming in? Any favorite anecdotes from some of the inquiries that have come in? We've had a lot of interest in this study, not only from the media, but also from clients in other sectors asking how we can apply the modeling framework that we've used in this study for their industry. And it's interesting because typically these sorts of conversations are unlocked by two kinds of issues that companies or industries are facing. You know, the first is a, a need to educate the media or shareholders or local and national officials and politicians about the overall economic footprint of a company or industry. And often official statistics are not sufficiently detailed or accessible for the full role of an industry to be properly understood, especially at a global level. I mean, this study has shown to many of our potential clients or existing clients that we can actually address that gap help them communicate the role they play in the economy and society globally much more fully than they've done to date. Um, I think the other second way in which often these studies come about is we get asked to produce them when perhaps because governments don't properly understand an industry, they're considering making a policy change or a, a regulatory change that actually would have a damaging impact on that industry and the economic activity and the jobs it supports. And then and work gets called in to help inform better policymaking by providing a strong quantity of evidence base. Um, and again, I think this has really served to remind a lot of organizations about the value of that kind of work. So I think it is that global nature of what we've done here that is particularly intriguing to a lot of other organizations. In a world where we're facing huge supply side challenges being able to quantify supply chain linkages of an industry across borders, as well as domestically, is obviously a really topical aspect to our work here. Yeah, thanks, Adrian. And, you know, when I read the report, you know, I was diving into all the details about beer. But one of the things that struck me as well was the rigor and the methodology that was used has an application for lots of other industries. And, the, and what policymakers can draw from that you know, is very, very insightful about the methodology that was done, because as much as this particular report focuses on beer, the learnings here from folks from other industries are really very important. But with that, Adrian, let me jump right, let me jump right into some of the findings, because, you know, like all the reports, we love to get into the details. And look, the report notes, right, that beer is linked to $1 in every $131 of GDP and one in 110 jobs. I mean, what were you expecting when you started this? Did you have any expectations? And were any of these findings surprising? Or how did these numbers compare to what you've seen for other industries or what you might have been expecting without having seen the data? Uh, sure. I think when we went into this study, 
we expected the economic impact of beer to be pretty large in lots of countries. But I think, to be honest, we didn't expect it to be as large as we actually found. And perhaps just to put some of the numbers in a context that I think it bring that to light. Yeah, so, for instance, one of the things we found is that the beer sector's contribution to global GDP is comparable in size with the entire Belgian economy. Or in supporting a total of 23 million jobs globally, the beer sector is equal in size, for example, to the entire Italian labour force. So we're talking about an industry here whose employment footprint matches that of a G7 economy. Um, now, in terms of comparisons with other sectors, we haven't done the same sort of comprehensive global footprint analysis for many other industries. So making the full comparison there is a bit tricky. But if we look at what we call the direct contribution of the beer sector, so just leaving aside supply chain impacts and impacts as workers spend their, their income that they've earned in the beer sector, what we find is that across the 70 countries included in our study, the contribution to GDP for the beer sector is similar to, uh, say, the telecommunications equipment manufacturing sector, so the cell phones manufacturing industry, if you like, or the wood and wood products manufacturing sector, furniture makers. And actually, it's not that far behind the aerospace sector either. So I think that underlines just how big a sector it is. If I can, let me just give you a couple of other things that I thought were interesting from the report. Yeah, please, Adrian. Yeah, I'd love to hear it. Yeah, that is the point that the beer sector's significance is larger in lower-income countries. Yeah, so um, in 2019, the contribution to GDP in low and lower-middle-income countries was about 1.6% compared to 0.9% of GDP in high-income countries. So quite a noticeable difference. And then yeah, secondly, yeah, the study brings out that breweries actually very productive businesses. So on average, a worker employed by a brewer generates a contribution to GDP of over $140,000. So that's five times higher than the average for all workers across all the countries included in our study. That's partly because brewing's a very capital-intensive activity, as you know, but it's also a function of the fact that there are a lot of skilled jobs in brewers, you know, including brewers, engineers, as well as marketing people, accountancy, finance, and legal people, indeed, John. Even some legal and corporate affairs people. I like to add those as well. Yeah. Adrian, you mentioned this idea of economic impact observed in lower-income countries. And, you know, when I was reading the report, I'd love for you to share a little bit about, you know, what does that mean for things like economic growth? So when you have a lower income country, what does that mean to have these types of jobs and what can that add? And how do your policymakers think about that? Yeah. So, I mean, again, just to give a sense of the significance of the beer sector in these low income economies, in Vietnam, beer supports five and a half percent of all employment getting on for 4% in India. I think that's a reflection of really the pervasive nature of beer supply chain across lots of different industries, including especially important for our income economies, the agricultural sector. And these pervasive supply chain linkages mean that a sector can support a virtuous cycle whereby growth in the beer industry fuels stronger overall performance in lots of other sectors down the supply chain. That creates more jobs. 
that gives consumers more income that they can go out and spend. That supports the economy in general, but also feeds back to support the beer sector, which again then creates more jobs and so on and so on, creating a significant economic multiplier effect that helps in terms of economic development. I think another aspect, however, probably comes from interactions between brewers and their suppliers. We didn't look at this in the study, but I'm pretty sure that what brewers are doing as they're working with their supply chains, encouraging them to adopt best international practice. And that in turn can help to train up those suppliers, make them more efficient and more sustainable, not only as they're serving the brewing industry, but as maybe they're serving other customers as well. Adrian, you mentioned these further jobs, right? And we talk about upstream and downstream. I'd love to maybe just give a finer point to some of our listeners about, you know, what types of jobs, of course, we mentioned lawyers and corporate affairs, but you know, what types of things upstream and downstream? Are we talking like farmers and bartenders? Just give a little flavor to the types of impact that this has. Yeah, sure. So the downstream value chain includes both what we call the on-trade, so that's where beer sold in bars, pubs, clubs, restaurants, and so on. And then what we call the off-trade, so that's when you buy it in supermarkets or grocery stores, local convenience stores, and so on. So in the downstream, we're talking about people who serve beer at a bar or sell it in a shop, for example, or the people who are behind the scenes in those businesses that facilitate that throughout the wholesale and distribution sector. In contrast, the upstream includes all those businesses that are supplying goods and services to brewers. So brewers are going to be spending on everything from buying cans and cakes to grains and hops that go into brewing through to services like advertising and legal and accountancy and audit and so on. So in this upstream supply chain, we're going to be talking, yes, about farmers. We're going to be talking about glass blowers. We're going to be talking about cake makers. And I have to say this, we're probably also talking about some coopers in there, um, but also a lot of people in the professional services space as well. And for every job in a brewery, we've got 29 further jobs. About 12 of those are in the downstream value chain, while the remaining 17 are in the beer sector supply chain. Thanks for that, Adrian. And, you know, one of the things we try to do when we onboard people onto a brewer is we talk about what's in the bottle and how does it get there? So we talk a little bit about the farmers, we talk about the truck drivers, we talk about the folks in logistics, we talk about those who make the glass and the packaging, and then we talk about how that gets to the shelf, right? How does it get to the consumer? And, you know, when you start to trace what goes into it, and then once it's all brewed and put together, how it gets into the consumer hands, you really start to understand all the different folks that you touch, right? All the different areas. And I'd be curious to just get your thoughts when you're looking at this globally. You know, how do you think about that from different countries? Did you find that the analysis for maybe a more economically developed area versus a developing area? I'm just curious to get your sense of, you know, all the different challenges that come in with trying to figure out downstream, upstream. How'd that go? Oh, well, I mean, inevitably, you know, this is where the really detailed economic modeling and data analysis comes in. It requires a lot of late nights, a lot of coffee, a lot of having a a towel over your head, concentrating on that data. And I think that one of the things that does make that more challenging in lower income economies is typically in those economies, you do tend to have not as good quality economic statistics as you have in richer economies. And 
you know, then we're having to trace through a whole range of additional data sources that we can get at reliable indicators to feed into this kind of study. And it is all those different channels which go back to meaning that it takes a year to put a study like this together from start to finish. But I think thinking through, in particular in lower income economies, not only those impacts that come through agriculture, which is so important, but also through those small stores that are selling beer on the side of the road that you will see in those countries. So it's a much more disparate distribution network, probably in those economies than you would get in a richer economy. And again, that makes making sure we've got the data right trickier. Thanks, Adrian. And when you know, I was reading the report, one of the things that struck me was you have all of this cutting edge, sophisticated modeling, right? And you talked a little bit about the different data sources and what you need to do. And really, you know, I would say the cream of the crop modeling and analysis. But then when I step back and I look at it, you know, it really translates into everyday experiences that people have with beer when you think about it in terms of like who touches the product, what gets in there. And that's one of the areas that I think economists can really drive through here. It's the sophistication in the modeling to make sure we get the math right, to make sure we get the theory right, to make sure that we get all of the data and the best evidence-based, but then the practical sense of, man, does this feel right? Does this match up with my experience? Love to talk a little bit, you know, because you study so many different industries and you look at so many different economic issues. How did it work where you could also go down to the local pub, right? And you can grab a Stella Artois and say, yeah, I think the modeling I did is kind of reflected in here. Just love to hear a little bit of your sense of that practical part. Oh, I think, I think that's really important. I mean, normally we would talk about, you know, does it pass the sniff test? But it may be here we should say, does it pass the taste test? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that exactly... It is trying to reflect what we're seeing in the economic data through to how does that match with our day-to-day experience. And it is bringing to life in these economic statistics, if you like, that experience you have when you're in a bar and you see all the different people who are working there. Or you see the guy turning up outside the pub with the kegs delivering them. Yeah, or the, the, that truck goes past you when you're on the highway. Or... You know, likewise in the supermarket. But you know, I've been fortunate enough to go and look around a, a number of breweries and then you see the sophistication of the production process, but also all the different kind of jobs that are going on there. And yeah, I think that the study does really try to make sure that we're representing all those different aspects to the industry. And really what I love about the study is one of the things that we've been talking about as a beer industry, right, is what is our impact on the entire chain, right? What is our impact as an industry? What do we mean by an industry? Who are the people that are part of that? And when you start to get into the study and you start to look at it, you start to see the impact and you start to see how it's not just a particular brewery, but it really has that impact out. You know, when you're talking about 29 further jobs supported upstream and downstream, you know, that's something when you talk to policymakers, right? So policymakers, and the beauty of this study is it covers so many different countries, right? And these countries have different political environments and you have different people in those areas that, you know, it might be more conservative, it might be more progressive, it might be whatever language you want to use to describe a political scale. The one thing that we know is that whenever you talk to policymakers, whenever you talk to government officials, you know, it doesn't matter where you sit on the spectrum of where your politics might be, 
We know that giving good jobs, we know that having people, having that livelihood is important to them. I'd love to get your sense a little bit of, with all this evidence base that's now in the study with the data and so many examples, what can policymakers do with this? Like, how could it inform what they're thinking about? I'd love to get your sense of translating the study right into how different people can use it. In this case, people who set policy, economic policy, countries policy about job creation, you know, how can they use it? Well, I mean, I think it's all about good evidence informed good policymaking and having a thorough appreciation of how much economic activity and how many jobs the sector supports. That's clearly critical when we're thinking about policy changes, how that may impact on economic performance. So, I mean, I think that's especially important in a context like now, where you've got, for instance, finance ministries looking at ways in which they can generate more revenues to pay down some of the debt they took on to support their economies through the pandemic. Now, I think a big message that I would want governments to take from this study is you know, to be thinking very carefully about how they approach getting that extra revenue and remembering that actually the best way to generate more revenue is by having more sustained economic growth. So governments need to avoid measures that will stifle that recovery and in particular, be careful not to damage sectors that can be drivers of jobs and growth. And our study shows that the beer sector's got a track record of delivering growth over a number of years. Now, that said, the beer sector needs to play its part in contributing to rising tax revenues. But I think government should look at that as a long-term strategic partnership, not as an easy short-term revenue raiser that actually could undermine the sector's ability to support growth. Yeah. And Adrian, I think those are really good points. You know, when when you take a look at that bottle of beer, when you see a Budweiser on the shelf, let's say, you know, what that represents downstream, upstream, it's just an important reminder for folks about when they look at the beer, right? And you say, what is represented in that bottle by economic livelihoods? What is represented that bottle by people who get up every day and till the fields, people who get up every morning and make sure that the shop is open to make sure that the restaurant and the bar are ready to receive their guests, to make sure that people can have those special moments where they're bonding with their friends and family over a beer in a pub. Uh, You can really see the impact about what is out there. Yeah, indeed, yeah. Adrian, as you look through the study and now that you've sort of put it out and you're starting to get feedback on it, you know, I'd love to just get your thoughts about is there anything that you think about in the future about, wow, what else can we look at? You know, is there, are there follow-up points? Are there points that people have made that you'd say, ah, I'd like to dive into that deeper, or I'd like to go apply this in a different way? Now that you've seen the study, what's next on the plate? Yeah, well, that's the sort of question I really like to encourage our clients to ask, John. <laughs> I can always think of lots. For example, in this case, yeah, we've concentrated in our report on the the global and the national economic footprint of the beer sector. I think that looking below that to its role in local economies is really important as well. And just as beer is especially important in low-income economies, I suspect its footprint is proportionately larger in less prosperous parts of high-income economies as well. And I think that's something that's important for decision makers, media, other opinion formers to understand. 
I think that another point, and this touches on what you were just speaking about a moment ago. Here, we focused on kind of very hard economic indicators in the study, GDP, jobs, taxes. But there are, as you were talking about, a range of other social impacts of beer that are really important to understand, not least that role of bars and pubs in local communities. And bringing out that story would be a great thing to do more work on. And then alongside all these economic issues, we need to increasingly think about things like the environmental footprint of beer as well. Again, taking into account all its supply chain linkages, both domestically and internationally. So I think there's a lot of work that one could do in that area as well. So there's at least three ideas that in themselves could keep us very busy over the next year. Well, that is great, Adrian. And Adrian, let me say, when we talk about beer and we talk about public policy, those are passions for mine. And I could go on and talk about them for a long time. But at this point, let me just say, it has been great to have this conversation with you about the Oxford Economic Study and the insights that were drawn from it, and also your thoughts as well on what it means and how it was done. Really fascinating for our listeners. And I encourage all those listening to read the report. You can find it at the Worldwide Brewing Alliance website with details for individual countries. And you can visit worldwidebrewingalliance.org. And this just leaves me with one thing, Adrian, which is to thank you and your team for capturing all these insights, for sharing your thoughts with us today, and also for giving a methodology and best-in-class practices for all of us to look at and learn so we can further better policy and decision-making. So thank you, Adrian. John, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you. So there you have it. Brewers' economic footprint extends far beyond their direct impact. So next time you grab a beer, you'll enjoy even more knowing the positive economic impact that you're having locally. Beer really is a strong engine of economic growth. That just leaves me to say a very big thank you to John Blood, Chief Legal and Corporate Affairs Officer at ABM Bev, and Adrian Cooper, Chief Executive Officer of Oxford Economics, for being featured on our podcast. And a special thank you to Rohan Chinderoy, ABI's Global Economist, and Pete Collins, Ian Saxon, Evie Johnson, Francesca Biagini, Daniel Das, Doug Godden, Tim Portis, Osman Ismail, and Patrick Disfandi, Economist at Oxford Economics. And of course, Justin Kissinger, the president of the Worldwide Brewing Alliance, for making the report possible. If you'd like to learn more, please visit ab-inbev.com. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. If you've enjoyed this episode, please rate and review us. And if you think others will enjoy it too, please share. We are AB InBev. This is Elise Puma from the AB InBev legal team. This podcast was recorded and is being made available by AB InBev solely for informational purposes and is general in nature. The information, statements, comments, views, and opinions expressed or provided in this podcast, including by speakers who are not officers, employees, or agents of AB InBev, are not necessarily those of AB InBev and may not be current. AB InBev does not make any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of any of the content contained in this podcast, nor does AB InBev offer any sort of legal, financial, or other advice in the podcast content. Any liability, therefore, is expressly disclaimed. 
Certain of the statements may have been forward-looking in nature and based on current expectations and views of future events and developments of the speakers and are naturally subject to uncertainty and changes in circumstances. ABNBEV does not undertake any obligation to provide any form of update, amendment, change, or correction to any of the information, statements, comments, views, or opinions set forth in this podcast.